Shohei Otani is out of the AL West and signed a $700 million with the Dodgers, raising all kinds of questions about team spending. On today's show, I'm breaking down why the Rangers' big spending is different than all the other big spenders in the league, and it's much, much more sustainable. All that and more on this episode of Locked on Rangers. Let's get into it. You are Locked on Rangers, your daily Texas Rangers podcast, part of the Locked on Podcast Network, your team every day. You are locked on to the World Series champion, Texas Rangers. I'm Bryce Paddock, a cripplingly addicted Texas Rangers fan, covering this team for 10 seasons, including all five as the founder and host of this podcast. Thank you all so much for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. If you're not already, you can follow me on Twitter at Bryce Paddock. You can follow the show at Locked On Rangers. Hit subscribe on your favorite podcasting platform and on YouTube, where the best way you can help grow the show is to comment nearly any single thing below. Now, before we get into today's episode, this show is brought to you by FanDuel. Make every moment more. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 Moneyline bet. That's $150 if your team wins. Visit FanDuel.com slash LockedOn to get started. Now, before we get into uh, the meat of this show, talking about big spending, why the Rangers' big spending is different, smarter, and more sustainable, there is some news that happened this weekend besides just Shohei Otani signing a 10-year, $700 million deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers, the most boring possible outcome, but a couple of World Series heroes, well, uh, just Rangers heroes in general from the 2023 season are gone. The free agents have signed uh, already. Finally, things are starting to happen. The Rangers haven't made any other moves, but Austin Hedges and Will Smith are gone. Happy trails to the both of them. Both key parts of this Rangers World Series run in their own way. Will Smith was a huge part of this team in the first half, basically the only reliever that was reliable in the bullpen for the first half of the season. And once the calendar turned to August, uh, he turned into a pumpkin and uh, was no longer a reliable reliever. But that does not negate what he did holding up like he did as the Rangers closer for the first half of the season. He was incredibly good for the Rangers and incredibly necessary while that bullpen was at its worst. He was there. He was helping the Rangers get out to that early lead in the AL West and his contributions will not be forgotten. He has won three straight World Series titles with three different teams. So, congratulations to the Kansas City Royals, your 2024 World Series champions. He signed a one-year, $5 million deal with Kansas City, which is a sneaky, smart move for the Royals um, because they're probably going to look to trade him at the deadline, and whatever team acquires him will also acquire his Magic World Series juju. Um, So that's probably a a good thing for them. And then Austin Hedges signed a one-year, $4 million deal with the Cleveland Guardians, the vibe king of all vibe kings, the man who took us higher, the man who allegedly wrote the Rangers' magic number on his booty cheeks all the way to the World Series and through it all the way till that number was zero. What a legend, a uh, great clubhouse guy, a great defensive catcher. Cleveland is definitely getting one of, if not the best defensive catchers in the league, whose uh, bat is kind of made of Swiss cheese, but the vibes, the vibe, you cannot put a price on the vibes that Austin Hedges brings to your clubhouse. The guy was just absolutely beloved by everybody. Total weirdo um, and Texas Rangers legend forever. Wish them both the best of luck at their new clubs. Hopefully, um, 
hopefully those are are um, the last guys that the Rangers lose. Maybe they can retain. Well, well, there's there's one certain other left hand relief pitcher that I wouldn't mind seeing going somewhere else. Um, but I would also love to see Mitch Garver and Jordan Montgomery come back. We'll we'll see what happens with that. Um, but the biggest news of the weekend uh, was Shohei Otani signing a ten year, seven hundred million dollar deal with the Los Angeles Dodgers of Los Angeles. I don't get to do the same bit as the Los Angeles Angels of Anaheim of California. So the the dynamic duo is dead officially. Mike Trout and Shohei Otani combined for uh, zero winning seasons, zero playoff games, zero AL West titles, and one very memorable WBC matchup. That was a lot of fun. And unfortunately, that was the most meaningful baseball that Shohei Otani played while he was had his first six years in the big leagues, which is a bummer for him, um, but good for the Rangers because they're in the AL West with the Angels. And uh, yeah, Shohei Otani, maybe he was fleeing Jonah Heim, the noted Shohei Otani killer. Maybe that's why he fled all the way to the NL West. He was afraid of what of what Jonah Heim was going to do to him. If he's going to hit another grand, well, I guess he wasn't going to hit another grand slam off of him this year because he's not pitching, but still. It just absolutely blew the record contract out of the water for the most money given to a player. There's going to be a lot of deferrals and creative accounting with that contract, so he's not going to be actually making $70 million every single year. But eventually, he will make $700 million that will be paid to him by the Los Angeles Dodgers, which is a whole lot of money and a very boring outcome, like I said, because it was so predictable and so... It's not fun. It's not fun for for baseball, in my opinion. I think it's just boring. If he had gone to the the uh, Blue Jays, like it, it seemed like there was a decent chance of that happening. Um, that would have been, I think, more exciting, more of a mystery as opposed to, oh well, good free agent goes to a team that wins 110 games in the regular season, then loses in the playoffs, and maybe they'll continue to do that. And it'll be even funnier if they lose in the playoffs now, and they added Shohei Otani. Um, because it's still a flawed team that still needs a lot more than just Shohei Otani to make them better. They need a lot of pitching. And it'd be even funnier if Clayton Kershaw signs with the Rangers after they add Otani. That would be just hilarious. But there's a lot of questions asked about, oh, is this big spending good for baseball? Is this smart spending? And I kind of want to look at uh, you know what made the Rangers so good last year and be able to spend big money on these contracts. It wasn't just because... They cried poor and didn't spend basically any money for like a five-year stretch. I mean, that that definitely helped with them having the room on their payroll to you know sign these big players and and not be you know in the Mets range of of the luxury tax. Not even really. I think they barely got into the luxury tax last year. But a big reason for that is because the Rangers had a lot of very good pre-arbitration players. Now, if you don't what know what pre-arbitration is basically the first three years of a major league players uh contract of their their big league tenure or sometimes four years depending on how creative teams get with how much their players play and all kinds of other niche things but basically the first three years of a player's contract they're making about league minimum for the first three years maybe all the way up to like 800k and league minimum i think is around 750k at this point with the new deal um so if you can have the most valuable thing in baseball is a pre-arbitration player who is very good while they are still in pre-arbitration. The Rangers had a lot of those last year. The Rangers had several pre-arbitration all-stars, which is a rare, 
rare thing, but the Rangers had three of them. They had Josh Young, they had Adolis Garcia, and they had Jonah Heim. Three guys who were all-star level, level players, making barely above the league minimum. That makes it much easier to sign guys like Corey Seager and Marcus Simeon to these big old deals, and same with Jacob deGrom. Um, it makes it much easier to sign those guys to these big old deals when you've got these young, very good players rounding out your roster that are not making a whole lot of money. That makes it much, much easier to you know keep that balanced payroll. Not that I value that a whole lot because it's the owner's money and they should be spending it on their baseball team and uh, not just crying poor. Um, but some of the best teams, the ones that are you know good while still being cheap, they have a lot of these good pre-arbitration players. The Orioles are one of the best teams at you know being having these young, good players. Same with the Rays. The Rays always do this very, very well, and they still stay cheap, and they stay not paying big extensions or big free agent contracts because they are so good at player development and they are able to keep these players while they are pre-arbitration while they are good and then usually trade them off for some other pre-arbitration player they have to be a lot more creative in how how they're spending uh on on their even their arbitration players i mean it's why they're looking to get rid of tyler glass now who still has another year under his contract but is going to be making around 25 million dollars i think this year um and that's just too big a price to pay because that's basically a quarter of their payroll because the Rays just run like that. And just imagine if, if one of those you know cheap teams actually was good at de- player development, spent a bunch of big money. That's what's made the Dodgers so good is because they can develop these pre-arbitration players that are, are good while also occasionally spending on the big free agents and eating bad contracts to acquire good players who cheap teams are just looking to get off get off of. That's why they were able to acquire Mookie Betts, because they were able to spend that much money. And they hadn't spent a whole lot in the past couple of off-seasons. I mean, really, the last two off-seasons, they, they were not super active. They did get Freddie Freeman that just kind of fell into their laps um, because of the way things played out with Atlanta. It seemed like he just wanted to go back to California. Um, and so, all right, I guess we'll add an MVP um, and a guy who just won a World Series to our roster, because um, we've already got a guy who won a world, a couple World Series and MVP uh, at the top of this roster in Mookie Betts. So I want to look at the Rangers versus these other big spenders of the Rangers' young pre-arbitration core, why it's so good, and the big contracts they spent and why that kind of shows why the Rangers are built to sustain this success for the long term a little bit better than these other big spenders. Right after this word from our sponsors. This episode is brought to you by FanDuel. Score early this NFL season with FanDuel, America's number one sportsbook. Right now, new customers get $150 in bonus bets with any winning $5 money line bet. That's $150 if your team wins. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there is no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use with a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. If you're thinking about putting some money down on the Rangers World Series odds, right now the Rangers have the fourth best odds according to FanDuel to win the World Series in 2024 at plus 900. Other big spenders that are in there are the, the Dodgers at plus 600, the Yankees at plus 950, and the Phillies at plus 1,000. Or if you wanted to go for a Cowboys bet for the world, the uh, Super Bowl, they are the has the fourth best odds tied with the Eagles and the Chiefs at plus 750. So go check it out. Go to FanDuel.com slash LockedOn and kick off the NFL season. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. 
Shout out to the Everydayers for making Locked On Rangers your first listen every single day. On tomorrow's show, I'll be back talking more about what's going on. Maybe there'll be some more Texas Rangers signings to talk about. Uh, but if not, then I'll be talking more about what the Rangers have left to do because there's still plenty left to do this offseason. Now, I think there are basically... Uh, the Rangers compare in terms of being big spenders to uh, four, five big teams. It's the Rangers, Padres, Dodgers, Mets, Yankees, Phillies. So five other teams that I'm trying to compare this Rangers team to. Now let's look at the Rangers pre-arbitration cheap core players that are going to be, you know, a, play, a, I think, a sizable role for the Rangers next year. There's Josh Young, who's still got several years before he hits arbitration. There's Evan Carter. Leo Tavares, Ezekiel Duran, and Wyatt Langford. That's five players who I think are going to be above average everyday players, um, or at least you know one and a half to two core players, I think, at, at minimum next year. And those guys are all pre-arbitration players. Now, granted, one or more of them may be traded this offseason to go and get uh, somebody else for the starting rotation, or hopefully not relief help, um, but that's a very good young core, especially guys who you are pretty confident are going to play every day, at least three of them, um, in Josh Young, Evan Carter, and Leo Tavares, with Evan Ezekiel Duran and White Langford probably at the very least splitting time at DH and also playing against lefties whenever Evan Carter was sitting. Those are five very good young players that are going to be a key contributor for the Rangers. Now, let's look at some of these other teams of guys who are going to be key contributors that are pre-arbitration. Not not even arbitration, just pre-arbitration. So the the cheapest guys. Uh, on the Padres, there's not a whole lot. There is really, like, looking at this, I was trying to squint and, and you know, try and get somebody more than a couple people on this list, but there's really not much. There's Luis Camposano, their, their catcher, who's going to be their everyday catcher, who is pre-arbitration and Jose Azokar, who's hopefully for their sake, going to be their fourth outfielder. There's just not a whole lot going on there with the Padres. And I mean, that's why their payroll situation has kind of gotten to such a messy place. I mean, not only the Bally sports deal going up, um, but also their owner, Peter Seidler passing away. It's just a horrible combination for all those things. I mean, not to, you know, just put Peter Seidler's death in the baseball operations category. I mean, it's like human being and a guy who meant so much to that organization is just such a heartbreaking situation for the Padres that they are in this place where they had to trade Juan Soto. But let's look at the Dodgers and, and their young pre-arbitration players. They have a lot of pitchers. Uh, Bobby Miller, Ryan Pepio, Michael Grove, I think, will all be pretty sizable contributors to this rotation next year. They also have James Outman, who had a really, really good rookie season last year. Um, but that's the only position player, really, who's going to probably play a big role for them. Gavin Lux is in his first year of arbitration, uh, so he is off of this list. So that's four players and a, a pretty good young core, especially three pitchers who I, th I think are going to be pretty solid this year for the Dodgers. They are so good at pitching development. What the Rangers could have literally one of those uh, young starters? It would be uh, amazing and I feel like the Rangers wouldn't have to do anything this offseason, but I digress. Now let's look at the Mets. They have Brett Beatty, third baseman, Mark Vientos, DH slash kind of third baseman slash maybe first baseman, and Francisco Alvarez, their catcher. Those guys are coming off not very inspiring season. I mean, Alvarez is very young. He had a 25 homer season um, and was a solid defensive catcher, but, you know, not a whole lot of on base, really just homer or nothing for him. He's fine defensively, not 
you know, sensational, um, but not anything that's like going to be close to an all-star level uh, player. I, I think, I mean, there's probably still plenty of developmental meat on left on the bone, but I mean, 20, being a 21 year old catcher in the big leagues is, is very impressive. Um, but still wasn't the most inspiring rookie season. Same for Brett Beatty, a guy who I thought was going to be very good for them last year, um, but played in 108 games, had an OPS below 600. Uh, he is 23 years old, so still pretty young, um, but not exactly the most exciting young core player that the Mets were hoping that he would be. I mean, their roster was flawed and has been flawed for a couple of years. It's both of those New York teams, they have spent big money uh, on things that, don't necessarily fix all of their holes. And then Vientos is a 23-year-old, basically DH, who had an OPS of 620 last year in a little over 225 plate appearances. Not exactly the young core of the future that uh, inspires a lot of hope for them contending in this next couple-year window, which uh, Mets fans seem to think that they will be, even though they said they wouldn't be, and they traded off two pitchers they signed for $43 million a year and paid a lot of money to get rid of them um, to kind of recycle their window because there's not a whole lot of young, impressive pitching, unfortunately, for the Mets, which they had done a really good job of developing the last, you know, five, six years. Uh, and thanks for developing that Jacob DeGrom guy. He's he's pretty good, and I'm hoping that we get to see him in the playoffs this year. But now let's look at the Yankees. Uh, Jason Dominguez, who is not going to play for probably the majority, if not the entirety of this year, but still a very exciting young player. Um, Anthony Volpe, who was a gold glover this year and um, had a, you know, okay rookie season. Very good defensively at shortstop. Uh, offensively, there's still a lot of um, a room for improvement. And then you have Oswaldo Cabrera and Oswald Peraza. Not exactly the most, again, not the most inspiring young core of players for Yankees team that... Um, could really use a guy like Ezekiel Duran. Uh, man, it's a it's a shame they gave him up for a player who they didn't properly appreciate while he was there. Now let's look at the Phillies. They have a few pre-arbitration guys who are going to be big parts of their team in 2024. They have Bryson Stott, who was like very quietly very good last year. I, I think really one of the more underrated players in baseball last year. They had Brandon Marsh with a really great season with them. Uh, great, you know, second half when he got traded to the Phillies in 2022. Um, down the stretch, he was a big part of their team. And Johan Rojas, who is exceptional, electric defensively in center field and cannot really hit very much at all. But man, can he pick it out there in the outfield. Um, so again, not exactly the most super duper inspiring young core of players. I feel like of these teams, the Rangers have... I don't know if a sizable advantage on the Dodgers, but a, a pretty decent one. Um, I, I feel like I trust the Rangers position players, at least the top three uh, versus anybody else's top three of, of young players. If you're counting your top three of Josh Young, uh, Evan Carter, and uh, Leo Tavares, I think it's a pretty safe bet that all those guys are going to be, I'd say at least like two war players next year. I mean, Josh Young is coming off an all-star season and the, the back half really kind of, when he came back from that thumb injury, he just was not hitting right. It really dragged down his, his full season numbers, but he was such a good hitter and, and such a good defender at uh, third base. And Evan Carter, I mean, the sky is the limit for that kid. And I'm so excited to see what he's going to do in his first full season in the big leagues, because the first, um, you know, two months in the big leagues were <laughs> pretty, pretty darn good. 
pretty darn good. And don't sleep on Leo Tavares, Ezekiel Duran, and Wyatt Langford. But I mean, still, this Rangers young core is very, very big. And the amount of players that they spent on big contracts for is not nearly as much as some of these other big teams. Coming up, we're going to look at the big contracts on these teams' books, why the Rangers' contracts are looking much more favorable, and why that leads to sustained success. Right after this word from our sponsors. Now, let's look at the big contracts on the books for these big spenders. By big contracts, I'm setting a baseline of $75 million. That feels like a pretty safe baseline just going through and, and seeing how big these contracts are. Um, just in, in terms of total money, not really looking as much at, you know, per year as just the the aggregate about, you know, how long these teams are committed to some of these star players, some of these deals are already looking uh, not super great. But let's start with the Rangers. They really have only three big contracts on their books. They have Corey Seager for 10 years, $325 million. Simeon for eight years, $175 million. And then Jacob DeGrom for five years, $185 million. I think there's still a chance he hits those incentives um, if everything goes perfectly after uh, him coming back from Tommy John surgery. But again, I'm not really expecting that to get all the way up to the six years, $125 or $225 million that I think the um, the vesting options would make it at the highest end. So that's really just three three guys on the books for $100 plus million. There, there's a chance that Jordan Montgomery joins this list in the offseason. I mean, I know it's not looking super great, and it's really frustrating with the uh, Bally Sports situation that the Rangers are having to be so conservative with their payroll after being big spenders this offseason again with Otani making 700 million dollars I think it's totally fair for the Rangers to have been out on Otani um especially I feel like once it got past the 550 million dollar mark I feel like the the last teams that were left the you know uh Blue Jays the Angels the uh Giants Cubs and uh, obviously the Dodgers. I think those are the only teams that were willing to go above that $550 million uh, mark. I think it's totally fair for the Rangers to have not been in on that because again, I've talked about it a million times, but how Otani is a luxury item for this Rangers team, not as much of a necessity perfect fit uh, as he would be for a couple of other teams. Uh, but let's look at the Dodgers. They really only have three huge contracts on their books. Now they they could be in the Yamamoto sweepstakes and add add another one uh, of you know six figure or nine figures uh, to their books, but right now they they've just got Shohei Otani ten years seven hundred million dollars, Mookie Betts twelve years three hundred sixty five million dollars, and Freddie Freeman at six years one hundred sixty two million dollars. Now at times the Dodgers have taken their payroll to crazy limits, have been you know the top end of the luxury tax uh, for a decent stretch especially from like 2010 to like 2015 um they've, they've done it at times uh, even to add you know david price's deal and a couple other you know not great contracts so that they could acquire mookie bets uh the way that they did they've done that they, they've done that in years past and it looks like they're getting back into that range of just punting it felt like they were punting this past year um because they could have added a lot more um to their roster to make it a more deep roster so they wouldn't have gotten swept in the playoffs by the time backs but they did, um, and so right now they just have three guys on their books that are making or that have signed deals of eighty million dollars or more, and uh, we'll we'll see what it looks like, whatever um, Clayton Kershaw's contract looks like. But I I have a feeling that it's not going to get into the eighty million dollar range. 
Now let's look at the Mets. This, I'm including extensions, not just free agent signings in this, just guys who are on their books for massive contracts. Now you start with Francisco Lindor, who signed a 10-year, $340 million extension after the Mets traded for him to make him their franchise star. Great deal. Great player. Um, looking like a fantastic fit. Uh, Brandon Nimmo at eight years, $162 million. I kind of forgot how much this was last year. Um, and I was thinking about the Ranger kicking the tires, but anything over $120 million felt like kind of an overpay. And um, Nimmo was fine last year. He definitely lived up, lived up to his contract, but uh, I think the back end of that deal is going to look not super great. Then they had a couple of these shorter term deals that were high on the AAV of these guys they traded. They had Scherzer at three years, $130 million. Um, they had uh, Diaz at five years, $102 million, which is a lot of money for a closer, but he was one of the best in the game when he was healthy um, and wishing him nothing but the best and hoping that he comes back and is healthy in 2024. Then they had Justin Verlander, three years, $104 million, and Kodai Senga, five years, $75 million. They're paying, I believe, a combined $40 million to Scherzer and, um, and Verlander to not be on the Mets. Uh, this next year. And then I think they're paying Verlander another like $12 million for 2025 if that option vests, which I think it just might. Um, but that's a lot of money. And again, their young core of, of young, supposedly cheap, talented players not living up to it uh, makes them have to spend a whole lot more money in free agency on even those average players to kind of like bump that salary up. That's why it really makes such a difference. Then let's look at the Yankees. They've got five guys under contract and at the top end, it is, it is massive money. Judge nine years, $360 million. Stanton, I know they didn't pay the entirety of the salary, but they've gotten the bulk of it. I think at least 11 years have been on their books. He signed a 13-year, $325 million extension with the Marlins before he got traded to the Yankees. And then Garrett Cole, nine years, $324 million. Carlos Rodon, six years, $162 million. And I almost forgot about this one of DJ LeMahieu, six years, $90 million. That's a lot for five guys. I mean, the Mets had six as well. Padres had six. Um, and the Phillies have the most, actually, with seven. Bryce Harper, 13 years, $330 million. Turner is a $300 million guy. Uh, Noah just signed $172 million. Wheeler at $118 million. Real Muto, $116 million. Castellanos at $100 million. And Schwarber at $79 million. Now, the reason I think I want to focus primarily on the Padres because there's been a lot of Padres fans who have been dunked on just like the Rangers were dunked on for spending so much money the past couple off seasons. Um, and the Padres were really, really dunked on of spending um, to even more of an absurd level than the Rangers did. Rangers really just signed those three guys. And you know, it seemed like a lot for a team that wasn't close to world series, but Hey, it put them over the edge. And because they had these young good, cheap players they knew were young and good and cheap. They wanted to spend while those guys were under a more cost-controlled contract to go out and get those stars. But the Padres, the thing that's the difference with them is is Tatis, they signed away some of these pre-arbitration years to to this contract extension. Now, they, they got a lot in on the back end that it will end up being an overall positive value, but they did it with so many different guys. I mean, it, I, mean I guess really just the two. But the one that really is going to hurt them is the Cronenworth contract of seven years, $80 million. And he was just, to put it frankly, very bad last year. And him being very bad as a you know pre-arb or arbitration player, that's much less expensive and less costly than having you know seven years of a guy who, you know, 
when he was signing that deal, he was a shortstop or a second baseman. Now he's all the way to first baseman and the offensive numbers haven't really replicated his career year. But again, it's why I think the Bogart Bogart's contract really perplexed me because it wasn't really a particular need for them of signing a guy to a $280 million deal that, I mean, it's a fine deal for Bogarts, um, but it just didn't really make sense for them since they already had like three guys that were capable of being at least an above average. I thought MLB shortstop in Hassan Kim and Tatis and even Cronenworth, I think could have been that. Um, but that's what they decided to do. And unfortunately it led to them having to trade Juan Soto. Um, but again, look at the Rangers. They just have these three big contracts, uh, big guys under contract, which is why I think they could and should be able to add a Jordan Montgomery at whatever price he is. If it's, you know, $150 million, I think that's fine. Honestly, I think that's fine and sustainable. I know that the the TV money is, is up in the air at this point, but you're the Rangers. You're coming off a World Series. You do have all of these young, cheap players, and even your arbitration guys are not scheduled to make that much money. I think Adolis is going to make maybe five, six million dollars this year Haim is in his first year of arbitration he's going to make three to five million dollars i think just not that much and nathaniel lowe is going to make like nine million you've got these guys that are still very good and under team control and relatively cheap so adding that pitching staff i think would be very very helpful but again this just kind of illustrates the point of why the rangers are in such a good position for the long haul they could develop like literally one singular like okay starting pitcher Dane Dunning being as good as he was very much helps of him being, he is an arbitration guy. I think he's going to make $3 million maybe this year. Um, but that is where things can get expensive because the Rangers, if you can't develop pitching, you have to go sign a whole bunch of it, which is why they spent so much money last year. But more in the short term and, and more deals that look very favorable now, especially the Eovaldi deal, looks like a uh, fantastic bargain for the Rangers. And getting Scherzer for a full year and paying about $20 million for him Um that's solid. That is not nothing. And having him for a full season as opposed to the two-month stretch they did uh, after the All-Star break, um, that is going to be very, very helpful for them uh, for the full season. I think that benefit is going to really play out more than people think. But Rangers are in such a good position. While I don't care that much about sustainability um, and you know how much how billionaires decide to spend their money, if they are going to have to be more financially prudent with it, uh, the Rangers have set themselves up to be contenders and not have to go into the crazy Mets or Yankees range, which that doesn't even include what else these teams are going to spend on this offseason because Yamamoto is probably going to get 300 million from one of these big spending teams, almost certainly not going to be the Rangers. Um, but again, the Rangers are in a very, very good place right now. Um, and people who were clowning on them for spending so much money look absolutely foolish the last couple of years, especially they look especially foolish now. And uh, it's just a nice place for the Texas Rangers to be. And uh, I am looking forward to them having many more great seasons from these young pre-arb players. But that's going to do it for today's show. Thank you all so much for listening and subscribing. And until next time, don't forget to enjoy World Series champion Texas Rangers baseball.